0: I'd like to begin with a question, and the question is this, are you selfish? Are you, are you selfish? (laughs) And of course you would say you're not selfish, but that's something a selfish person would say. What is selfishness? Well, selfishness is of a person, it can be an action, it can be a motive. It means lacking consideration for others, concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. And the thing about selfishness is that is if it's in your life, which I think that it is, uh, it's likely that you are unaware of your own selfishness. Because selfishness, for most people, myself included, is something called a blind spot. It means that everyone else can see when you're selfish, but you can't quite see it. You might be totally oblivious to the impact that you're having with other people. Do you follow what I'm saying? Um, there's a meme, uh, it's actually a Twitter, uh, 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 something this person posted from at Dads. Uh, posted, the most selfish person you know is at therapy being told they're allowed to be selfish sometimes. And isn't that true? Isn't it? I mean, there's true for a number of reasons. There's a, there's a question about therapy and echo chambers. Not to be confused with our wonderful therapist here, Ingrid Chung-Nishimoto. Uh, so we're talking about different people, Ingrid. And, uh, and um, she's building a business from scratch, and it's amazing. So yeah, we have to be excited about that. But then there's also like the idea that like, you know, we're not always, we don't know when we're being selfish because sometimes we're around selfish people. And that selfish kind of thing can uh, be an echo chamber for us. And so what I'd like to do today is I would like to address three groups of people, three groups of people who are here today around the question, are you selfish? And group number one is you would say, I'm not selfish. And to you, I would say, uh, you'll have to change the background. I'm not selfish, there it is. So you would say, you know what? That's me, I'm not selfish. And to you, I would say, Yes, you are. And let me just be clear with you today. I can't help you today if you would say that you're not selfish. If you can't admit that sometimes you have selfish tendencies or you're selfish with other people, I'm not going to try to convince you. So you're off the hook this morning. But I do trust, I do trust that God will eventually allow circumstances into your life that will reveal the potentiality for your selfishness. So you're off the hook today. But group number two would be this. Group number two, you say, well, I'm selfish, but I'm not as selfish as other people. And to you I'd say, "Um, well, comparing yourself with others is a race to the bottom. Comparing yourself with other people is a race to the bottom. Just because you're not losing doesn't mean you're winning. And the problem with comparing ourselves with others is this. Generally speaking, people compare themselves to the worst version they can find in other people so that they look better. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, they're like, well, they will say things like, well, cutting the corners on my taxes isn't a big deal because I'm not a murderer. Do You see that there's no correlation between the two. Like, I don't cheat on my taxes. This guy murders people, okay? Plus, the government is systemically evil, and I should be able to do what I want. Okay, another, another example, you know, I don't take advantage of super drunk women when I go to the bar. I only hook up with kind of drunk people at the bar. You see how you're, you're racing to the bottom there, right? That's a real sentence that I've heard actual people say not this room these are Christians so the third group I have an income it's a good income and I give a little bit back to God at least it's something I mean I know a lot of people I've talked to a lot of people with a lot of weird theological views about money and they don't give anything at all so at least I'm not them listen Saying that you're not as selfish as another person or comparing yourself to another person is something called justification. It's when you rationalize and when you justify that you're not that bad. And what I'd like to say to you today is that we're not going to be talking about other people. We're talking about you and we're talking about me. And you see, when you live life just shooting for the bare minimum, you could end up winning a race that you don't want to win. And the easiest way to win the race to the bottom is to compare your selfishness against other people's selfishness. All right? So that's group number two. Maybe some of you are in that group. Then there's group number three. Group number three, you would say, I know I'm selfish, but I don't always see it. And Chris, I would love some good news about what I can do about it. (laughs) Well, you know, if that's you, to you I'd say, perfect. It's perfect. I can actually, I think we can actually help you. And here's my concern. Here's my concern. My concern for you is that your selfishness and my selfishness, your selfishness and my selfishness has all the potential to touch and impact every single area of your life it can affect your relationships it can affect your marriage it can affect your job and it can certainly impact your future now we've been doing this series called disciple and it's about how to be a disciple of Jesus and the reason we should choose to be selfless over being selfish is because Jesus chose to be selfless Jesus chose to go to the cross demonstrating his love for us, and Jesus is asking us to be selfless as well, not to make us feel guilty or to make us feel shame, but because when we experience the selflessness of Jesus and his work on the cross, it should inspire us to love others. It should inspire us to be selfless towards others because we have been shown that same love. We've been shown that same care. We've been shown something by God that has been valuable to us. And so in return, we give it to others. Again, not out of shame, not out of like guilt, but because we get the chance to do that for others. And so today we're going to look at a story and an interaction that Jesus has that kind of highlights this. All right. So in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus starts telling his disciples some fun things. And here's what we read. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Okay, standard stuff. Jesus is like, guess what? I'm not going to win the general election and they're going to kill me for it. And I'm going to be dead, but also don't worry about me dying because I'm going to do someone, do something that no one's ever done ever. I'm going to rise from the dead three days later. This is, so just have faith, okay? And the disciples are kind of scratching their heads like, what is this? He's not going to win the general election. He's going to get killed, but then he's going to rise from the dead. This is weird stuff. So, so here's what happens next in the story in verse 22. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, which means he was like, he got in his face. He confronted him. He says, never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So um, what do we see here? Well, first of all, Jesus calls Peter Satan. That's a bit of a big deal. And he says that Peter really isn't concerned about doing the best thing in this situation. And he points out that Peter is concerned about himself. Peter's concerned about self-preservation. Sure, Peter's a decent guy. He doesn't want his friend to get killed. But why doesn't he want his friend to get killed? Peter doesn't want his friend to get killed because he thinks that Jesus is going to become king of the world. And if Jesus becomes king of the world, who's going to be the right-hand man? Peter. Right? So he's buying the stock when it's super low. He's getting in with, you know, Obama before he runs. He's like in early on. He was an early adopter. I was with Jesus in the backwoods doing backwoods things. And when he's about to be king, and now he's undermining his administration. This affects me. So Jesus calls him on it. He's like, no, you do not have in mind the things of God. You don't see the bigger picture. You're actually just trying to serve yourself in this situation. Peter, you're not actually serving. Uh, you're not actually serving the greater cause. So then, so then um, he goes on. Jesus goes on, and he—you um, can imagine—he like Peter does the whole thing with him, and he's like, uh, "Get behind me, Satan! You don't have in mind things." And then you imagine that he turns to the crowd, and here's what he says. He said this to the disciples: "Whoever wants to be my disciple." ...must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus says that his followers will deny themselves to the point of death. And he adds, listen, if you try to preserve your own life, you're actually going to lose it. But if you lose your life for Jesus you're actually going to find it. It's like this nice little riddle. But in this, we see the key to understanding selfishness, its effects, and what to do about it. The effect of selfishness. And Jesus goes right right for the throat here. Life apart from God will never work out for you. Jesus summarizes all of Scripture here. He says, your life has not been designed to seek after whatever you want or whatever you think is going to make you happy. And if you try to live this way, you will fail. And you might win for a time, but life turned in on itself, living for what makes you happy, what makes only you satisfied, always leads to losing your life. These are the words of Jesus, and these are still true today. This is why some of the most famous, some of the most successful, some of the most financially wealthy, and some of the most attractive people you know are some of the most miserable people in the world. They worked hard for everything, and they wanted life. You know, much like us, but they want a little bit more than you. And they've won, and they have the money, and they have all the things. They're winners, but yet they feel an existential pain, an existential emptiness where they feel like losers. They are winners, but they feel like losers. They are full of success, but they are still empty. And no amount of money, and no amount of sex, and no amount of security in relationships will ever fill the part of their life that was designed to be filled by God. And Jesus said this to the disciples. We see this with people that have been given everything in the world and here, especially here in West Los Angeles, we see all that. We see that Jesus has designed with God the Father life to work to have a a, a hole in your heart that is designed for God alone. And the key to life, the key to true happiness, the key to contentment is found in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, I am requesting that you do not shoot me, that you do not shoot the messenger because these are the words of Jesus and ultimately you're going to have to decide. You're going to have to decide if the wisdom of Jesus that humans have used for the last 2,000 years is sufficient enough for you or you're going to have to decide if it's not as good as some of the wisdom that you've been able to cobble together since you graduated college. Because there's no real way to work around this. Jesus says it can't be found there. You could make the most money ever. You could be the most beloved person ever. It's never going to be enough. That's, and when we start there, we fail. And in that, we see the key to understanding selfishness. You need a life that is centered around God, period. I need a life that's centered around God, period. So how do you deal with selfishness? Well, the short answer is you choose to put aside your own desires. But how do you do this? It's a little bit more difficult. You know, you read a verse like deny yourself. That's like such a beautiful, poetic idea. Like how do you actually deny yourself? Well, I would like to offer you some things that we find in the scriptures. Uh, And it, it really can be formed around certain questions that you can ask yourself that can actually help you to determine if you're moving down the path of denying yourself or moving towards selflessness over selfishness. Because as we already discussed, each of us wrestles with selfishness. Now, unless you're in category number one, we're not talking to you. Categories two and we're talking to you if you feel the pressure of some sort of selfishness what are questions that you can learn that can help you along the way and I want to give you question number one question number one the okay question to ask is what's the best thing for me versus the better question what is the best thing for my relationship with God when I don't feel like getting up on Sunday morning to be with other Christians in worship and I'd rather sleep in, or it's just too beautiful of a day. What's the best thing for me? What's the best thing for my relationship with God? When I want to grab another drink when I'm out with my friends and I've already had enough, and I know that's going to impact some of the commitments that I've made to other people tomorrow, or if in your 40s, for the next week. Uh, (laughs) uh, What's the best thing for me? what's the best thing for my relationship with God, okay? And when I want to watch three hours of TikToks on my phone rather than spend time in God's Word? What's the best thing for me versus what is the best thing for my relationship with God? Now, um, do you see how the question helps? And Now, in case you've never heard it, In case you've never heard, what is the best thing for your relationship with God? It can really be boiled down into four different things that we should do. One of the best things, the four best things you can do for your relationship with God is to, first of all, establish regular rhythms uh, that create priorities to help your relationship with God to grow. So regular rhythms and setting of priorities that will help your relationship with God grow. And it's really pretty much four different categories. First, you should spend time with other Christians in worship. Your choice to do this this morning is not only good for you, it is good for the people around you that you are here. Because whether you realize it or not, the Spirit of God is using you and encouraging people in the room and doing something and we're learning from each other. It doesn't make sense when we're by ourselves. When we do this together as a regular sign that God is alive and doing something, this not only is good for us as a reminder, but it also shapes us. A second thing you can do is spend time in community groups. Now, we have community groups that meet or will be launching very shortly, right, Kate? We're going to be launching some... Yeah, she's in the back. And right, Nicole? All right, good. They're going to be starting a women's group shortly, and then we have a men's group that meets, and we're going to be starting some other groups that are coming up. And these are groups where you can actually... Uh, get to know each other and pray for each other and we say sometimes that circles are better than rows meaning that when you're interacting with each other you can learn from each other you can grow in God's Word. A third way would be to spend time in God's Word in meditative prayer. Now if you're unfamiliar with uh, the scriptures or you're like how do I figure out a routine or how do I understand what's really happening in the scriptures I do want to recommend on YouTube has anyone ever heard of the Bible Project? Bible Project by a show of hands, just so I know. All right, thank you, Jess and Patrick and the others who raise their hands. Bible Project is a great way for you to learn and understand if you're new at understanding the Bible, and it can help give you a foundation for understanding God's word. And when you spend time in meditative prayer, it helps you to know, it helps you to learn what God's saying or what, he's, what he might not be saying. It helps you to understand his voice. And the last thing I just want to mention for how you grow in real relationship with God is to spend time taking steps in faith and praying for other people. And this is one that's really important because when you take steps of faith and you pray for other people, it's out of your control. And by doing so, you're learning how to pray and you're learning how to pray with power. And that's really helpful for your relationship with God. Listen, when we do these four things, it helps us to know God, what he's like, what he's not like, and it helps to shape us into better people. And so by prioritizing these things, you're naturally going to begin to develop a better sense of what is selfish and what is not selfish behavior. And over time, if you spend time in God's Word, if you spend time with other Christians, you will start to make decisions that begin to reflect Jesus more than reflecting what your life looked like before. Are you tracking with me? It's it's in relationship that it happens. That's how Christians grow. And if you want to grow, that's how it can be done. Okay, second set of questions is this. The okay question is, what's the best thing for me right now versus how does this impact others right now and later? Okay? Do you see the difference? What's the best thing for me? What's the best thing for others right now and later? And Jesus said that the entirety of the scriptures can be summarized in this phrase. Read with me in Matthew 7. It says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus says that if you want to summarize all of the scriptures, the moral teachings that we read in the Bible, all you have to do is this. Put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. So for instance... How would it feel if someone at work went along with something that was said about you that was untrue, and you didn't step in and you didn't correct it for fear of being ridiculed? How does it feel to be in your shoes? Um, how would it feel if one of your clients decided not to pay the agreed upon price? How Put yourself in their shoes. How would it feel if someone you know always bulldozed you in the conversation? It was their ideas, their agendas. Here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing. Here's my point of view. Here's what I think about the present. And they just bulldozed you all the time in a conversation. You know, put yourself in their shoes. Um, How would it feel? Let me give you a people-pleasing example. How would it feel if someone gave you bad advice? Or even less, they went along with your opinion, knowing full well that your bad opinion was going to lead you down a bad place, but they were too nervous to tell you what they really think. Generally speaking, people pleasers want what? They want harmony. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. But that's just as selfish. Selfish. When we're people-pleasing, we're being just as selfish because most of the time, a people-pleaser is not concerned about the other person's well-being. They're actually just concerned about themselves and how they're going to be perceived. They attempt to please people out of their own security. That is selfish. That is being selfish. And so what we want to do is we want to put ourselves in, in, in the shoes of someone else. We want to walk a mile in their shoes, understand how the kind of impact that we're having. Now, the question, how does this impact others... It's hard to do. Sometimes the scriptures don't tell us if we should fire an employee or we should keep them on for a little while longer or if we should keep our job or look for a new one. The scriptures are unclear about whether we should speak up in a certain situation at work or we should not and sometimes you and I can just be unaware of the impact that we're having on others. It's hard to see what we cannot see. So the way we apply this, the way we come to understand our impact on others isn't to look outward to others. It even isn't to look inward to ourselves. But the thing that we do if we really want to understand our impact with others is that we look upward. We look upward. And what I have found and what some of you have found and what the scriptures show us, when we look upward in prayer... When we begin to pray a prayer that is not only supported by scriptures, but it has been used by people throughout the last 2,000 years, Uh, millions of people have prayed it before you. When we pray a prayer like this, I'm about to show you, it actually helps us to become aware of the impact we're having. And simply, now I'm paraphrasing what the scriptures say, but the prayer goes something like this. God, help me to see my words and actions how they impact others so that I can love people I interact with today. God, help me to see my words. Help me to see my actions. Help me to understand how it's impacting others today. And what you can do if you want to be aware of the impact you're having with others is to pray a version of this prayer every single day in the month of March. Just do it. And then just sit back and watch the results. And if you pray this prayer... You're doing something supernatural because you're actually inviting the Spirit of God to show up. You are, uh, um, s- some of you are here today for a supernatural encounter. You're here because you're like, I want God to do something in the room. This is your chance, and here's how you can have one. If you pray a prayer like this, think what's in this prayer. Think of the elements that are in this prayer. A, you're admitting that you need help. All right? And B, you're trusting that God's Spirit's going to show you what you actually are doing and saying. And C, you're actually dependent on God to actually show you things to yourself. And folks, when we ask God to do this, this is something that we can't control. It's something that God has to do. And you're going to actually allow God to show up and begin to reveal new things to you. And here's the promise in the scriptures. If you pray this prayer, as so many have done before, what you will find is that over time, as you are consistent in praying this prayer, that slowly you will start to see things happen in your life that you didn't see happen before. And what you're going to see is the impact of your actions and your words in a new light. It's going to dawn on you, huh, it's a little weird that I did that hmm, it's a little weird that I said that. And when you begin to see new things, you're going to be like, is this a coincidence? I'm going to say no. It's God at work because you've chosen to put yourself out there and you've waited on God to speak to you supernaturally in the moment. And as you pray that prayer, and as God reveals your behavior in a new light, I promise you this, it's going to make some of you uncomfortable because you're gonna realize the impact of your words and actions aren't perfect and they're not so pretty. And what God is doing here is that when we pray this prayer, prayer, he's revealing our sin. He's revealing our selfishness to us. And you might say, this is uncomfortable. I don't want to keep praying this prayer. But I would encourage you not to do that because when this moment happens, when you start to feel uncomfortable, that means the Spirit of God is gently revealing some of your selfish ways, some of my selfish ways, and it gives you the opportunity to make different choices. Now, I know that as Christians and Americans, we want everything in our relationship with God to be fun and easy. But i am got to tell you, sometimes in order to grow, we need to feel a little pain. But when we ask God to give us an understanding of the impact of our actions, He will show us. But I promise you, it's going to feel a little painful. But through that pain, you can begin to develop a new way of living that's a little healthier for you. Are we clear? Are you are following me? Do I need to go back and, and do this point? We're good? All right, cool. Nikki's just looking at me. We got it. All right, last question. Uh, the, the, I call this the best question ever. It's called when's lunch? Now, <laughs> The best question ever are, are my choices and my words filled with integrity? I believe, as you should believe, that integrity is the key to getting rid of selfishness in your life. And it's the key to denying yourself. And integrity is not just some pie-in-the-sky-loose idea. It's not something that's just unattainable. It's not something from a TV show, Integrity. It's not like the name of a car, uh, the Integra. It is actually the name of a car, but we're not talking about that. If you were to summarize all of the scriptures and you were to summarize what Jesus was teaching in Jesus' behavior, it was marked by something called integrity. Now, here at Pacific City Church, we try to follow a definition of integrity that we see in the scriptures. And I want to give you that definition right now. Integrity is doing what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do it, and doing it in the manner that it's supposed to be done. And this is a powerful definition that can give you powerful results, not just with other believers, but in every area of your life. <clears throat> like, for example, um, for example, at work, are my choices at work filled with integrity? Meaning, at my job, if I have a job, um, do I do what I say I'm going to do? I, do I do it when I, in the manner it's supposed to be done? And do I fulfill when I'm saying I'm going to do it? Do I do this with my company? With my boss? With my clients? Do I do this with my coworkers? Folks, integrity can take you far. But it also, when we choose to live by the integrity standard, when we fail to live with the integrity standard with people that we work with, reveals our selfishness when we've chosen our own way. You know, my wife has, uh, since we've been here, has been able to move into a position in her company where she manages a lot of people and a lot of product. She sounds like a drug dealer when I say that, but I trust you she is not. She's been moving a lot of Walter White products. And one of the things that she does is annual reviews with her subordinates. And also she is subjected to an annual review. And every year after the annual reviews, Nicole will come home and complain to me, but I am so ready and willing to listen because I'm a selfless husband. (laughs) And some of her employees, and here's what she complains about, some of her employees fail to make the connection between how they see themselves and the fact that there have been major integrity gaps and how they have performed their duties. They can't seem to make the connection that they don't do what they say they're gonna do, when they say they're gonna do it, and doing it in the manner that's supposed to be done. They can't make the connection between that behavior and the fact that their annual review did not go as planned. They fail to make that connection. And one of my favorite pieces of advice that Nicole gives to professionals in the corporate world is this. If you just do what you say you're gonna do, the sky is the limit. You can, and I, I, I can see the managers in the room. They're like, "Yes, if my employees would just do what they say they are supposed, what they say they're going to do. Hey, I'm going to do this at work. If you just do it, you don't even have to do it that well. I mean, just showing up, like, dude, like the quiet resignation. Well, that's why you're out of work. Okay, so if you just do what you say you're gonna do. And if you choose to kind of do it in the manner it's supposed to be done, when when it's supposed to be done, Nicole says that the sky is the limit. You can grow as an employee and you can go very far, farther than you think. And her point is this, far too many people in the workforce fail to recognize that it is their lack of integrity that is a form of selfishness and it is the primary thing holding them back in their career. Can I get an amen from all the managers in the room? All the people managers, yes. (laughs) Let me give you another illustration. It's about your relationships. Let me ask you a question. How often do you cancel plans? How often do you bail on the plans that you've made or on your commitments? How often do you flake out? And you say, you know, I was gonna come to the thing with the thing, but my dog got a rare disease or I'm too tired tonight, or you say things like, you know, tonight's a me night. And now, some excuses are real, right? Sometimes the dog is sick, um, but usually many of our excuses uh, just lack integrity, don't they? The excuses we make, they just lack integrity. And Los Angeles, Los Angeles is a place (laughs) filled with people that don't do what they say they're going to do. I would imagine that's been your experience, that not everybody says what they're going to do. They don't do what they say they're going to do. And you go to other parts of the country, it's the same, you know. They have just different versions of it. Now, one of the ways that you can stop being selfish in your relationships is to make the commitment to treat your relationships with integrity. Just do what you say you're going to do in the relationships that you've you have in the, in the commitments you've made in those relationships. Like, one of the easiest things you can do is if you say, I'll be there, like, be there. And one of the things you can do is if you say to a friend, you can count on me, be someone that you can count on. Again, this city, in my experience and probably some of yours, people are flaky, And Christians have somehow gotten the wrong idea that just because there's a race to the bottom here and other people can be flaky, that Christians also too can be flaky. That's an example of a race to the bottom. But Christians should not be flaky. Christians should fulfill the commitments they've made to their relationships. Why? Because Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and to do what we say we're going to do. I want to say one more thing about integrity, and then I want to spend some time praying and we're going to sing one more song together. And the last thing about integrity is this. Choosing to live your life with integrity isn't a burden. It's actually a benefit. Why? Well, living, in, living with integrity is hard because you have to say no to yourself sometimes. But over time, you're going to start to live a less selfish life, a selfless life. And here's the benefit. When you live your life with integrity, you are going to start to attract people who also want to be around people who are living out their life with integrity. You are going to change the game for yourself, okay? And health, here's what what we know. Health in relationships is attracted to health, right? Healthy people find other healthy people to hang out with. Like, if you're a healthy person, which I know that you are, you don't go find the most unhealthy person to form a relationship with. That's called toxic. And you don't want that, right? And you don't want that. If you want, so here's what I'm saying. If you want better friends, if you would say, besides the people in this room, I want better friends. If you want better friends, start being a better friend start being a better friend to people even who aren't really great friends back to you and if you want success in dating and marriage start with your own integrity and by doing so you become the person you're looking for is looking for you understand you become the person you're looking for is looking for and yes jesus invites us to live selflessly to deny ourselves but when you follow this one in your relationships you are the one who's really going to benefit. You get all the benefits around attracting other people that also wanna live a life of integrity. And I'm not saying that if you have, haven't met the love of your life that you lack integrity. I'm not saying that. I am saying moving towards integrity can only help and serve to position you to be around other people who wanna be around healthier people. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Look, I, when I look around this room, uh, I, I really hope, and the leadership of this church, our board, really hopes that we could be a church of people that are filled with integrity, that serve others well. That somehow that we are on a path away from selfless, selfishness towards selflessness. I don't want to be selfish. I really don't. And I don't think that you wanna be selfish either. And I know Jesus followers in Los Angeles are a minority. We're not the majority culture. Our way of thinking isn't the, the main way that people think. But imagine the impact if we were to actually take on the idea of denying ourselves. If we were to take on the attitude of living our lives with a high integrity standard so that we could be selfless towards others. I think it would be, it would look so different to the outside world. I think it would be attractive. I think we're living in a world that lacks integrity. And if we would choose to have integrity in these relationships and the relationships we have outside of this room, I think it would be a testimony. I think it would speak volumes about the God that we serve. And like my hope is that as we develop the integrated life, the integrous life, that someday like you know, people in Los Angeles, not just here in this church, but people in Los Angeles, they, would, they might say, you know, I don't know that Jesus, uh, you know, was real. I don't, I don't know if he died for my sins. And I, I'm certainly not certain that he rose again. But I do know that Christians in Los Angeles, they are great people to hire. If you find yourself a Christian, hire a Christian. Because they do what they say they're going to do. They do it in the manner it's supposed to be done. You know what? I don't know if I believe that uh, Paul the Apostle (laughs) was stoned to death and came back to life. But I do know that like all my Christian friends, they're really good friends. They always show up. They're there for me. I I went through a really hard time. I had a huge health crisis. And you know who was there for me? It was like these weird Christian people that meet in a cafeteria. You know I got I got uh, I got ditched the other day but you know what my Christian friends came around and we celebrated and they were there for me you know there's so there's so much that we can do around integrity that leads us to denying like it's you see how it's connected to denying yourself but and when we move towards that integrous life I think it can have an impact on the whole city. And so my challenge to you is this, do what you say you're gonna do. When you say you're gonna do it, and do it in the manner that it's supposed to be done. Not because I'm telling you to do it, because Jesus did it with you. Jesus fulfilled what he said he was gonna do, when he said he was gonna do it, and doing it in the manner he's done, all the way to the point of death who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and demonstrating his full love for us. Do the same with others and watch it change your life and watch it change the lives around you. Amen? Why don't we all stand? So, uh, so I was, uh, uh I was worshiping like you guys were, like singing all the lyrics and stuff, but also I was praying and, uh, As I was praying, I I felt like we're supposed to um, do one thing, which is that you want to encounter God's spirit in a new way. So I'm going to leave a moment for that to happen. Now, it could get weird. It could be completely normal. But I'm just going to welcome God to speak to your heart and speak to your mind right now. And I'm going to pause. And then I'm going to ask if anyone here has anything else that they want to share. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come. We know that you're already here, but make us aware of your presence, that you would come in power and that you, uh, for, for, those of, for those in the room that are seeking an experience with you to know that you're real, uh, that you would break through and that you would do something new right now. So we're just going to, I'm just going to pause and I just would invite you to do business with God and listen for his voice. We ask that you would come and you do something.